Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, a frequent guest on our program, the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, Sean Harding. Sean was elected as the 12th president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau in 2019, so he's beginning to pick up a good bit of experience, and uh, we hope that he will share some of that knowledge that he's gained during that time with us today. Sean is a native of rural eastern North Carolina and a third-generation farmer with 30 years of farming experience. Well, Sean, again, welcome to the program, and just for those who are not overly familiar with the Farm Bureau, why don't you, first of all, give us a little bit of a review lesson and exactly who and what and how the Farm Bureau operates and who and what does who, uh, what jobs and responsibilities. I think that covered it all. That was a long question. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's going to be hard to be uh, short. I'll try to be short with the no, take, take your time because I think a lot of people are really interested in knowing all this information. Yeah, it's an interesting organization. Um, the Farm Bureau is a nonprofit at the heart of it. It's a nonprofit that started in 1936 to uh, be a voice for farmers. And so that's what we are uh, even today uh, that, you know, we're still the voice of agriculture, as we like to say. Um, in 1953, those farmers said, uh, we can't find insurance for our, our, uh, for our different things on the farm. And so they started an insurance company and, and that's where that, uh, started. So a lot of people now know us for our insurance company. Uh, but we also are very well known, I think, uh, politically as being the voice of agriculture, uh, not well, obviously here in North Carolina, North Carolina Farm Bureau, but then we are affiliated with the American Farm Bureau on a national level. And and have a presence in all 100 counties have county farm bureaus. So um, all our all our members are, uh, you know, our volunteer leaders. And, and so uh, it's, a, it's a great organization. Uh, farming is still a very, you know, I guess 50 years ago, farming and textiles and cigarette manufacturing and furniture manufacturing was the biggest part of the North Carolina economy. Two of those categories have almost disappeared as far as being major factors, but agriculture still is a very big part of the North Carolina economy. Absolutely. Uh, really, I think speaks to our, our resiliency uh, uh, with our, our farmers to say, you know, uh, we're going to have to adapt, we're going to have to change uh, with the times and, and do something different, but still be in agriculture. And, you know, actually, that's my story. I, I was a tobacco farmer growing up and and we changed our farm to uh, fruits and vegetables, strawberries and things, and and uh, it's been successful. So I think um, a lot of farmers are looking at that. There's still, you know, still quite a bit of tobacco in our state, uh, still quite a bit of, uh, you know, not nearly as many dairies, but still the same amount of cows that we used to have. So they're just larger dairies. But, um, you know, we have just a diverse, very diverse agricultural economy here in North Carolina. I mean, you know, compared to, uh, say, 30 years ago, what is the percentage of acreage that uh, that used to be devoted to tobacco compared to today? Wow, I would have to go off the top of my head that we're probably growing, we're probably growing maybe as little as 60% of the acreage that we, that we used to grow, say, 30 years ago. Um, it might be a little more than half, but, um, you know, it, it has fallen off for sure. Uh, now, and, what and, are the other big uh, tobacco growing areas, uh, not only 
uh, here in the United States, but domestically. I mean, not only domestically, but foreign as yeah. well. Yeah. And, and so our biggest competitor, I guess, if you want to call it, uh, would probably be uh, Zimbabwe and, and Africa um, and Brazil. Those countries uh, grow probably the most tobacco besides us. China still grows a lot of tobacco uh, as well. So um, that would be our, our biggest competitors. Uh, there's not much tobacco left in Florida, a little bit in uh, Georgia and South Carolina, uh, but it's, it's really concentrated now in eastern North Carolina. So um, uh, getting back to tobacco, are we, a, uh, are we an exporter or an importer? As a state, we're 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 exporting more and more every year, um, and you know that's just a. I think all of us recognize domestic consumption has gone down, and so uh, that export market is tremendously important to our tobacco growers. Uh, the large share of that going to China, just so many, so many uh, people in China. So uh, that's an important market for us. And uh, the average, uh, the average number of consumers of tobacco in China is much higher than the United States, I think. Yes, yes, it still is. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's where we got into trouble here about four or five years ago with some trade wars, and and so uh, I think our guys uh, have have you know gotten through that, but it, it's they're I guess I would call it ca- cautiously optimistic going into this season. So the farmers in North Carolina that uh, began to. Uh, move away from tobacco, most of them moved into what? Uh, now, you said your farm moved into fruits and vegetables. Yeah, and it really is a varied. I, I think there was no one-size-fits-all for everyone. Uh, you had some farms that, uh, you know, just moved straight into grain. So you got your corn, soybean, wheat, cotton, uh, commodity-type crops. Uh, peanuts is still important. Um, and, and then you got, uh, you know, other... I guess uh, sweet potatoes are huge uh, in the state now. And then, you know, sweet potatoes, is kind of a great companion crop for some of our tobacco farmers as well, because they have that labor there uh, that they need to uh, to do both crops. So now uh, with sweet potatoes, can you have two crops a year? Or is that just still one crop? Just the one crop, uh, just the one crop with sweet potatoes. And, but, you know, it is a very labor intensive crop. So most most farmers are going to pair it with something else. Maybe it's cucumbers or, or some other crops so that they, uh, you know, are using the H2A labor uh, that's here, requiring to work a certain amount of hours. And so they, they need to do that and, and have, you know, plenty for them to do. Well, the, the uh, future in North Carolina, of course, we also grow, uh, have a lot of uh, pork being raised in, in uh, North Carolina as well. Uh, so, uh, how do you see that? Uh, is that going to be sort of the, the agricultural mix for the next 10 years, or do you see some changes as far as how farmland is allocated? Well, you know, we're, I think we're always, uh, at least in the next 10 years, we're going to be producing a lot of animals in this state. Uh, pork, you mentioned, obviously, poultry um, uh, is really big, turkeys. Um, and so I don't, I don't see that changing. Uh, I don't see the mix changing a whole lot. You know, the biggest challenge that I hear, and I'm actually doing some some district meetings this winter across the state, going to every one of the different uh, districts that we have in our in our federation. So I've been uh, I've been to six places now. I've got two more next week. Everywhere I go, farmers are concerned about uh, development, and and you just see this state growing so fast, 
so many people moving here. Uh, it's, it's no longer a secret that North Carolina is a great place to live. And so that's the pressure. Uh, it's, it's really the pressure of, of uh, housing developments and, uh, and those type of things that are really concerning our farmers. But we continue to uh, do great research, not only at North Carolina State University, but uh, several other colleges and universities. It makes uh, growing more uh, productive, I guess, per acre. Uh, that uh, never seems to end, and we seem to be ahead of the game on that. It, it is amazing, and I'm glad you brought that up. It, the, the efficiency of our farms and farming, it's just incredible. If you go back and look, you know, 50 years ago, as you said, what we were producing then now we're producing so much more on so much less less inputs and so that is exactly um due to technology due to the research that's done at our great land grant universities and and when and we're going to need more <laughs> you know we can't just rest on our laurels we're going to need more as as people continue as this uh is, you know around the world we continue to have population growth we got to we got to feed people uh so the challenges are there but uh you know, I think we'll we'll rise to the challenge. Well, it's uh, a tribute to the farmer and to the uh, uh, great uh, educational institutions that we have in the state that this is occurring. Uh, you mentioned uh, poultry and uh, uh, soybeans. Uh, North Carolina is up amongst the leaders in those categories, as well as sweet potatoes. And of course, we we failed to mention cotton. We still growing cotton. Still growing cotton, uh, very important crop uh, for us and. You know, I mentioned uh, the peanuts, that cotton peanut mix works well for some of our farmers. Um, but, you know, you and then you go out west, you see, you know, obviously the Christmas trees uh, out in the mountains. Um, I'm really impressed with our beef farmers that are growing now more local beef uh, and supplying a, a market in that way. So people are, are, you know, as I said, farmers are resilient. They're finding a ways to uh, to actually meet the market demands that we see with people moving into our state. We're sort of past the COVID period, but uh, uh, almost uh, every industry and every category of the economy learned some good lessons and some bad lessons and still have some effect from COVID. Uh, how did the farmers uh, return uh, after the COVID period and uh, what lessons perhaps they learned? Well, I mentioned the uh, beef industry. I'll focus on that. And there's certainly a lot of lessons that were learned uh, about supply chain and how we, you know, it, I don't think we stop and think about how the food gets from the farm to the consumer and uh, and that supply chain. And we're just a few days from those uh, store shelves being empty. And we saw that a little bit in COVID and, and people, uh, you know, that really panics people, when, you, know, you know, when you can't get food. So, uh, it wasn't a matter of food not being produced. We had the food, but it was a matter of, of the getting the food on the shelves. And, and uh, I think that was the biggest lesson we learned. So what came out of that, you know, I mentioned the local beef market. A lot of people went to their neighbors who had cows and said, can I buy one of those or a half of those or, uh, you know, some kind of deal, uh, buy some, some beef from you. And so farmers responded that we had to, I say, wait, we, the ag industry, we had to get together and, and come up with a plan for processing animals like that. And because we hadn't really done that in the state. And, and uh, thanks to Commissioner Troxler, Department of Ag, they've done a lot of, a lot of good work in that space. So, you know, that's just one thing that we learned that uh, there's a market for people to buy 
direct from the farmer and it's good for the farmer and the consumer. Uh, so uh, are all the effects of COVID behind us now, or are you still facing any of the residual effects? I pretty much think from the farm, everything's behind us. You know, one of the things that we, and I say we American Farm Bureau, I'll give them the credit uh, came out with during COVID was a, uh, I guess a social media program called uh, Still Farming, hashtag Still Farming. And the point was, you know, COVID hit in the spring in March and, and farmers kind of looked around and said, well, this is, this is bad, but uh, we got to go farm because if you don't plant a crop, you don't get a second chance <laughs> this year. And so uh, we did and we did a great job. And I think, I think most of that's behind us, thankfully. Well, that's a great summary of where we stand. We want to turn to the workforce challenges in the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Sean Harding. He's the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, an advocacy group for farmers all across North Carolina. And we will do that right after we take time out for these messages. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. My mom has taken up going to the park to practice yoga. My dad's going to a club, but not a book club, a salsa club. Finding new hobbies comes with age. My mom has started getting lost and not knowing where she's going. Becoming lost or disoriented doesn't. Confusion with time or place may be a sign of Alzheimer's. An early diagnosis can help improve the quality of life for your loved one. Learn the warning signs of Alzheimer's at 10signs.org. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. This week we're talking farming and how important it is to the state of North Carolina, a very big part of the North Carolina economy. And our guest in doing that is Sean Harding, as we said. He's the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. He's the 12th president. He's been in that job since... 2019, and uh, it's a very interesting organization. We sort of gave you an overview of the Farm Bureau a few moments ago, uh, and uh, uh, if you miss that first segment, of course, you can go to Carolina Newsmakers and hear that segment. We want to talk a little bit about the workforce challenges because uh, almost every category of the economy in North Carolina is having workforce challenges, uh, and I suspect and. Uh, would like to know from Sean exactly uh, how the farmers are uh, working on their workforce challenges. Because I, as I said, I suspect they're not different from the rest of us. They have challenges in that area too. Absolutely. Um, where do I start? Let's see. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's just interesting. Uh, I was uh, uh, on my farm the other day and, and a gentleman drove up. He said, uh, I'm from Maryland. Uh, Eastern Shore, they have a lot of farms out there. He 
he wanted to talk to me about my farm and, and we talked for a while. And the first question he asked me was, uh, you have any problems with labor? <laughs> so <laughs> every, every farmer is talking about it. Uh, you know, it is an issue. I think one of the issues that we, um, maybe we don't talk or think about as much. We think about, uh, you know, migrant labor and H2A labor and, and those kind of things to harvest and plant crops. And while that's tremendously important, uh, one of the problems the farmers are having now is, is getting people to fix equipment. Uh, there's just uh, a real gap, I guess you would say, between uh, the people who can fix uh, this equipment. I think our technology has gotten ahead of us in some ways. Uh, this is very sophisticated equipment on farms now with GPS and and uh, even some driverless tractors and, and things like that. And so uh, when, you know, one one fuse goes down or one or one one simple electronic part goes down, it can just stop you in your tracks. And so, um, you know, it, it's it's become uh, quite a problem. And, and we've certainly talked to the. Uh, the manufacturers. Uh, we've talked to our community colleges about this problem, and I'm, I'm hoping we can get some help. Uh, but we need we need young people who want to fix tractors. That's uh, that's an area that uh, I think the automobile dealers are facing also because we're changing from the types of energies and how important the the uh, new computer organized uh, transmission systems are affecting that area as well. So I think. That's something you share with the car dealers. Absolutely. Tell me about same, the same uh, interest in uh, uh, college as a uh, uh, in uh, agriculture as a degree. Are you having a lot of students still interested in going to study agriculture? You know, I think we do, and and I'm I'm really encouraged. Uh, I get to spend a lot of time over at uh, well, we're right there in Raleigh, and so I get to spend a lot of time at NC State actually go over and talk to a couple of classes of young people. And, and I find the classes full. I find, uh, I find high energy. Uh, I think uh, there, I think, I think agriculture has gone about a little bit of a renaissance, I would say maybe uh, where the young people really see it as uh, uh, something that they'd like to get involved in. And, and there's one of the things I share with them all the time is there's all kinds of jobs in agriculture that are not just, uh, the plowing and the planting and, 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 the, and the farming. Uh, there's a lot of support jobs that go along with agriculture. And so there's a lot of opportunities. Um, and I see it at uh, NCANT State University. Uh, when I go there, just excitement about, um, you know, biotechnology and agriculture and people get involved in that. Uh, we work closely with the University of Mount Olive. They have a great agriculture program as well. So um, I, I think, you know, we, <laughs> we can all get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, I guess jaded a little bit that nobody wants to to work or nobody wants to go in agriculture. But when I go around young people, I see I see a lot of energy. Well, that's uh, that's good to know, and and also uh, it's it it uh, uh, it is an exciting industry, and there's so much change. So anytime there's change, there's opportunity for sure. And of course, we will always have the problem of feeding the world and and clothing the world, and and so these are. Uh, great opportunities for young people to look at when they consider their career. Now, you are a third-generation farmer, I believe. Uh, for years, we've talked about farm families. Are farm families still uh, prevalent? Uh, large numbers of farm families where the second, third, and maybe even fourth generation uh, are sticking to their to their roots? Yes, absolutely. I mean, 
we uh, we like to use the number uh, about ninety five percent of our farms, our family farms, um, and and you know there's there's several reasons for that. Uh, the high cost of, of land and, and getting into farming make it difficult for first generation farmers. Uh, so there is a uh, I think a legacy that goes along with farming. Um, you know it's it's not for everybody, uh, but I think when you grow up around it. Uh, we see generally that uh, a lot of a lot of their sons and daughters want to go back in in agriculture, and we see that. I see we see more daughters now than ever. <laughs> we see more young women. Uh, you know, they can they can drive this equipment. They can uh, certainly make the business decisions and farm just as well as the young men. So, um, you know, whether it's livestock or crops or or any things that we talked about, I see. Um, a lot of generational, you know, passing on from one generation to another. I saw uh, uh, a recent ad recently of a farmer in his overalls on his tractor, but with his laptop computer. The computer has changed the world for the farmer. It has, just like it's changed all of our worlds. You know, we can, uh, we can do meetings different ways. And, and, uh, and so, yes, it's, it's certainly changed uh, agriculture as well. Uh, change the equipment that we're operating, but but also changed uh, the efficiency. We talked about that a little bit, uh, but I just think made us better farmers. Uh, you know, we've been able to soil sample differently. We've been able to cut inputs and in different places that didn't need them and, and put them where we did need them. So just some really cool things going on in agriculture. Weather, of course, is vital to the farmer. And of course, the weather information is getting to be more and more accurate and more and more timely. Uh, how how has that affected the farmer being able to get better weather information about rainfall and weather conditions in general? Well, that goes right along with the, the technology advances we've been talking about. That uh, you know, I, I think you're right. We we can, uh, you know, I've got rain gauges in my phone now. Where I used to have rain gauges outside, I could be in Raleigh and find out how much rain at the farm. So we can we can really pinpoint. Um, weather conditions a little bit better. And then that helps you make decisions quicker uh, that you need to make on the farm. So um, all those advances help us with what we were, we're talking about with being able to grow more and, and, and better. But obviously it's still something that's out of our control. Um, we've not had a severe drought. We got pretty dry last summer, um, but uh, I think that's a, a concern. And then I always look into the East and when hurricane season comes along. Yeah, because that uh, is, uh, I was talking to the Agriculture Commission, and he said sometimes too much rain is worse than not enough. Absolutely. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we have options uh, when you have drought uh, with irrigation and some of these things that we can do. uh, And that's become so much more efficient than it was with, uh, you know, drip irrigation and and things that that use less water. Um, And so I think those options are actually a little bit better for us than when we think about uh, too much rain, which is really, you know, then we get into flooding and, and some of the issues that we deal with with that. Farm prices move around. And of course, I guess this is another area where the computer is uh, vital to the farmer, but uh, uh, how, how much impact does the farmer actually have on farm prices? Well, on those commodities, you mentioned corn, uh, you know, cotton, soybeans, uh, wheat, you're, you're in a world market. You know, we talked about how agriculture's changed. Now we're in we're in a world market, and so uh, it doesn't really. It used to be what happened in the Midwest really mattered, and, and that's still important. But now it's looking to Brazil. It's looking to 
uh, it's looking to the Ukraine and some of the all the grain that's grown there. And so those things affect markets and can change so rapidly that a farmer's got to really he just got to really be on top of his of his input costs and then and then what uh, commodity prices are going to be because you're you're not you're not going to affect them. Uh, you have to know, uh, you know, when you're getting a profit and when and when you need to sell. The Ukraine is an interesting situation, of course, having uh, essentially a, a total war situation. But how has that affected their farmland? Because uh, apparently they're still growing a lot of grain. Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, obviously, it's hard to, to sometimes know what's going to happen. I think there was quite a reaction. Uh, I guess now we're looking at two years since we've been Russia's been in Ukraine. So. Right at the beginning, you know, markets shot up because everybody figured, well, this is it. You won't be able to farm. <laughs> well, they're figuring it out. Somehow or another, they're figuring out how to farm and how to move grain. And and so I think that stabilized somewhat. Uh, it, you know, it remains to be seen where it goes from here. Tell me about Africa. How much agriculture does Africa, because it's such a huge area and a, a, a lot of it's undeveloped. How will it is. that impact the world economy as far as agriculture in future years? Well, everything I've read or everything I've seen, uh, when you talk about emerging markets in the world, everybody talks about Africa. So uh, there, there's just a, a real opportunity there. Uh, and I think uh, China has certainly seen that and it has gotten involved in, in agriculture in Africa. Um, and I know the United States, uh, you know, is trying to um, to talk to countries about more trade in Africa, because I, I think that's that's the emerging market that we all hear that would be in the future. The other nation that's sort of slipping up, and of course, it's now number one in population is India. And we don't hear so much about India and where they're getting their agriculture and how much they're raising. We hear a lot about China. And we hear a lot about the United States and even a lot about Africa, but we don't hear much about India. Uh, do they grow a lot of agricultural products? Well, they do. And, and that's uh, the reason you don't hear a lot about uh, India and, and trade, although there, there have been many people who have tried to get in that market, as you said, just a huge market. Uh, they sort of have a little bit of a different perspective there. They're not so much interested in trade. They're interested in supporting their farmers and, and growing their uh, their food there. So it's been really hard. I know uh, there have been many countries, uh, especially the United States, that would love to get into India, uh, but it's just been a little bit difficult uh, to break that, that market cycle. And, you know, I think it's an interesting uh, point because uh, we're starting to see some of that in the United States. There's a whole movement when you talk about trade of people who uh, – who don't really like trade, who don't really think we ought to be doing, you know, those kind of things, trade agreements and, and all that. Um, so I think we got to we got to change that mindset, especially when we think about agriculture. Uh, we have to be able to trade with other countries because we produce a whole lot more here than we can than we can use. Well, it, uh, that's definitely true. So basically what you're saying is India has done a better job of managing their agricultural uh, products and growth than has China. Yeah, I think that would be a fair statement. I think, uh, you know, China's had some uh, some real swings in population. They're, I think, having some trouble now with the aging population. Um, and and so that's that's affected them. Um, 
and they also, you know, they buy a lot from Brazil and other countries, but uh, it's, it's a different market, China, than India, although you compare the two as far as uh, the number of people there. Our guest is Sean Harding. He's the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, and we're talking about uh, farming, and we've gotten into not only the global situation, but the international situation as well. In the next segment, we want to talk about the problems of the farmer, uh, things like health insurance. We've already touched on workforce, but energy and gas prices and things that may be a challenge to the farmer. We'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen, what is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back from Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week uh, is Sean Harding, and uh, we have him on periodically because the rest of the state of North Carolina needs to learn what's going on in agriculture. And the Farm Bureau is the advocacy group representing North Carolina's farmers. How many members do you have in the Farm Bureau? We are almost at 650,000 members. Uh, Of course, we like to say member families because if you buy a membership, it's for your whole family. And uh, very proud to continue to grow that membership. You know, I tell people all the time, uh, you don't, you know, you have to have a membership to to buy insurance from us, but you don't have to to buy insurance to have a membership. So if you want to support agriculture, join the Farm Bureau. It's $25. Anybody can join. And, uh, and we'd love to have you. Well, that's certainly a nice, uh, nice and attractive low price for membership. Uh, so uh, maybe you'll have a, a lot of non-farmers join just because they'd like to keep up with what you're doing. <laughs> well, I hope so. Uh, we, we've kept that membership low uh, and for, for since the 80s, actually. Uh, my, Is that $25 for a family? That's for a family. Oh, yep. that's a that's a bargain. Well, that's a good. deal. <laughs> so, uh, if someone wants to join, how do they do that? They go online. Yeah, just go to our website. We got a, a place right there where you can click on. I want to join the Farm Bureau, and you join a county Farm Bureau, uh, which uh, then affiliates you with a state organization. So, whatever county you're in, uh, we'll get back to you and get you get you set up. So, out of curiosity, what county has more farmers than any other county? Do you have that information? Oh. <laughs> 
Oh, I, I should know that. Uh, I need to find that out. Which county has the most? I'd probably say we're looking at Sampson County. Uh, probably Duplin or Sampson would probably be one of the, the top uh, number of farms in, in farming. Yeah, I, I would think that would be a great guess. Of course, as you, you mentioned earlier, we have a great uh, uh, economy in the West in Christmas trees and, and fruits, especially apples. That's another great crop in the West. Oh, we hadn't even talked about apples, uh, wonderful apple orchards out West. And hopefully uh, we're going to have a, a great year up, up in the mountains as well. Now, North Carolina has continued to grow also in the wine industry. Uh, how how much uh, uh, do you see uh, as a feature for wine producers in North Carolina? Yeah, it's really been fantastic. I mean, you go up in that Yadkin Valley area, Surrey County, uh, uh, really. And then, you you know, of course, you got the Duplin wineries with your musket eyes, a different, different type of grape. Um, so it, I think it's fantastic. You know, um, I mentioned the district meetings I'm having across the state. Uh, we call them farm shop meetings because that's the way we've, we've always done it. Uh, the interesting thing is, uh, as I asked my staff to find us a place to meet and in uh, these different places in the state, I've already met in in four wedding venues. <laughs> so that's a big thing now to uh, to get married in a barn, a nice barn, not just a, <laughs> a a farm barn, but a nice barn. And so that just shows you how much uh, agritourism has changed in in our state, and uh, it, it's pretty interesting. That is interesting, very interesting. Well, let's talk a little bit about the. Uh the impact of legislation on farmers. Uh, immigration is certainly a big topic these days nationally. Uh, in the case of agriculture, immigration, of course, is something that you're vitally concerned about and uh, probably more on the positive side than a lot of folks are considering. Well, you know, I think it, it's a difficult uh, topic. Uh, we're all dealing with it as a, as a country. It's a society. Um, I think, you know, you started out or we we talked about workforce and I think there's so many places that need people to work uh, that we need to, to think about where are these workers going to come from, uh, how are we going to grow our economy. You know, we, we've had a lot of jobs in North Carolina and I'm starting to ask myself, well, where are the workers going to come from if we can't even fill the, the jobs we have? So I think immigration is important. I don't think it's a too broad a statement to say we we messed it up uh, and we need to fix it. You know, we need a we need a comprehensive immigration program uh, that lets people come in here to our country who want to work and and who can work and, and do a great job for us and contribute to society. So that that's where we are on it. Uh, One of the big costs, of course, the farmer looks at is energy, but that uh, and gas prices. But that seems to have sort of stabilized here the last six months. It does. Uh, I think that's probably a, I think we could go into this farming season and say it's probably a bright spot as far as the, the energy costs that uh, farmers are going to be looking at. Um, but we've all seen how volatile that, that market can be. But I think there's been changes over the last decade uh, where our country is producing more energy. Obviously, we have the uh, tremendous push into the green industry and and that's uh, affecting agriculture as well whether we're talking about solar operations or or wind farms or uh, all the different things that we see going up seeds and fertilizer of course a big cost to a number of these crops that we've talked about uh we've had a period of time where we've had some inflation is that beginning to level off 
Well, I think so. Um, you know, with fertilizer and seed prices, the, the problem in, when we're talking about agriculture, I'll, I'll try to, you know, you're talking about growing a crop for six months, eight months, depending on the crop. Uh, so you may buy uh, input prices at one uh, inflationary level and then have commodity prices eight months from that time be at another level. It, it's, it's really concerning to me. And uh, of course, our farmers are smart business people. They'll they'll figure it out. But you got to be careful with this inflation. Uh, and sometimes the commodity prices come down quicker than the input prices do. And that can really put a squeeze on a farmer. I think I've told this story before, but I had a great friend who was a farmer in Scotland County and he loved farming and I asked him one time how long he was going to farm. He said, I think I've got barely enough money to farm four more years. <laughs> but farming you know, is uh, sort of an average yeah. thing, as I understand. You're going to have some really good years and then you're going to have some lean years. Oh, absolutely. And and most most people in agriculture understand that you're going to have the, the good years and the lean years. Um but it is, you know, we, we do laugh about it and, and, and make jokes about, you know, if I won the lottery, I'd be able to farm another year, things like that. <laughs> but uh, it is, you know, the, the reality of it is a lot of times uh, our farmers are eating into their, their land equity uh, to continue the farm. And that's that's not a good place to be. So let's talk about legislation that uh, uh, is either being proposed on a federal level or the state level that uh, may affect uh, the North Carolina farmer and uh, the positions that uh, your organization is taking? Well, we've been all hands on deck uh, really since last year uh, in agriculture to get a farm bill passed. Uh, from a federal standpoint, uh, that's just been everybody's focus. Um, we did not get it done last year, and uh, several reasons for that. Uh, I don't think I have to say that we've had sort of a dysfunctional Congress for a while. Uh, and so they kicked the can down the road and said, we're going to extend it till uh, this September. So we're making an all out push again to get this farm bill done. <clears throat> I think it's um, like everything now, it's more expensive. Uh, and so I think, you know, obviously it always comes down to money uh, when you're talking about passing those, those government uh, bills, but the farm bill is so important to agriculture so important to North Carolina farmers. Um, that's the crop insurance title. That's where we uh, see crop insurance at. And for our farmers, um, that's the safety net. You know, that's how you can go into a year. Uh, you can go see your banker this, this time of year and say, here's my plan. Here's what I want to do. And the banker can have confidence, just like the farmer can, that if something bad happens, the crop insurance there to, to help pay the bills. So, we need uh, we need that farm bill done, and uh, we'll continue to push on that on the federal level. What were some of the issues that caused uh, contention uh, from keeping it passed in the last uh, in the last several months? Well, we don't have a budget in our country, so we got to have a budget before we can move forward with the farm bill. Uh, and so, and and you know, uh, all the issues that are uh, that we're dealing with in Washington right now. Um, the farm bill is interesting because a lot of the farm bill uh, is is the SNAP program, you know, and so now it's what included is that? The, the feeding programs that uh, help feed uh, people who are less fortunate. And so uh, that's a part of it. And that's a big part of it. And, and quite frankly, nobody wants to see that go away. 
and, and so I think that's an important part of passing the farm bill. Um, and so we're, we're asking both sides of the aisle uh, to say, look, this is important. We need to continue to feed our country, uh, continue to feed the people who are less fortunate. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's an important side, but also we need to continue to support our, our farmers in agriculture with, with crop insurance and, and all the other things that the farm bill does. So we feel like it's a good bipartisan bill that should get should be done by both sides, but uh, we'll continue to make that argument. Now let's move to the state level. Are there any legislative priorities that you have for the General Assembly of the State of North Carolina? Well, I think uh, you know we've made a big push last year, and I think we'll do it again this year to to look at more food manufacturing in North Carolina. Um, we need to take these great products that our farmers are producing. Uh, and some of them that need to be, you know, further processed or manufactured. We need to do that here. We need to do that in North Carolina, whether it's uh, making cheese from our from our milk. Um, you know, so many people eat their dairy now, not drink it. And so we need to we ought to do that here. So we've been making a big push in that space, um, whether it's sweet potato, you know, processing sweet potato chips here or any of those products that we talk about. Uh, I think that's really the push that we'll ask our our general assembly to help with, and they've done a fantastic job in the past. And we hope we'll continue to do that. You mentioned earlier the community college system, because I think very often when we think of agriculture, we think of uh, the general assembly, but you've got farm agents in every County. You've got community colleges, uh, and they play a vital role also in continuing education and education close to home. Absolutely. I mean, uh, just a, a really great place for a young person to go and, and learn a trade, learn a skill at a community college and, and really do, do very well. Uh, it's, it's not, these are not low paying jobs. These are, these are good paying jobs and there's plenty of jobs out there. So, uh, I think that we need to, um, continue to work with our community college and we got good relationships with our community college and agriculture programs. Um, but also start, start further back, back in high school to, uh, help people have that career path. When I was in school, 4-H clubs were very big. Are, are they still growing and do we have plenty of them? Because that's where I got some introduction to farming and my dad was a druggist and I lived in the town, but uh, I learned an awful lot about agriculture by joining the 4-H club. Those are great programs. And yes, we do continue to have a fantastic 4-H in our state. Uh, obviously, uh, FFA, um, manners program, which is a, a program for, um, uh, you know, our young African-American ki- uh, children. And so we've got great leadership programs uh, across the state and, and they're just so important that that really, as you talked about just then, it, it starts you down that path of, well, maybe I want to do this, or maybe I want to go into this area. Um, and, and so I, I just, we support those, our County Farm Bureau support them because they're so important to young people. Well, it's, uh, it's also interesting about uh, how North Carolina is the envy of the world as far as our higher education system, which includes not only the state universities, but also the, the uh, community colleges. I imagine as you travel, people are envious. Yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's really fantastic. And we could focus, like you said, on, on several different areas, but I hear uh, so many um, of my counterparts in other states that, that hear about the biotechnology that goes on 
in the Research Triangle Park, how that plays into the university system at NC State and and A and T State and, the, and these other places, and and that's that's really um, what we have going for us in North Carolina. Our guest is Sean Harding. He's the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau. And we've got one final segment, and we're going to sort of talk about uh, what's on Sean's agenda for the next six months, next 12 months. He's already talked about uh, visiting around the state. We'll follow up on that as well. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Before we get back to our guest, Sean Harding, I'd like to remind the people who are listening to this program, this program is carried in a one-hour format in a number of our stations, but on a half-hour format on others. If you happen to be listening to one of the stations that carries the half-hour version, you can get the two segments that you miss by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. That's carolinanewsmakers.com. And if you would uh, like to listen to segments again or share them with a neighbor, you can do the same thing. It's carolinanewsmakers.com, one word. Our guest this week is Sean Harding. He is the uh, 12th president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, having assumed that responsibility in 2019. He's a third-generation farmer, and when he's not uh, uh, in his role as farm uh, president of the Farm Bureau, he grows fruits and vegetables on his farm. Uh, it's called Southside Farms in Chocowinity, North Carolina. Um, Great job, Doc. Uh, well, you know, a lot of people can't say Chocowinity. <laughs> or or uh, the one I like is when people look at uh, COE and TOE and the one who call it Conto. Yes. <laughs> and of course, we have people, those places in North Carolina. Yeah, and, and, uh, the people in Canada want you to call it Canada, not Conto. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Sean, uh, you've got a lot of things on your plate, but uh, let's just sort of, uh, if you would, give us an overview of what is uh, on the top of your list is things that you're looking at doing as you go back to work uh, uh, at uh, the Farm Bureau and, and uh, the various projects that you're undertaking. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, we, 
I've been, as you mentioned, uh, in this role since 2019. So just starting my fifth term, fifth year. And uh, I thought it was time to, uh, to talk about the future. You know, we've had a, a glorious path at Farm Bureau and we're proud of, of where we've been uh, or where we, where, we are, where we are now. But uh, where are we going? That's what I'm asking our volunteers. Where, you know, the future of agriculture is changing. And so that means the future of Farm Bureau needs to change. And, and what's it going to look like? So uh, that's what we're working on right now. As I mentioned, the district meetings that we've done, I've uh, done six of those and I'll do two more. And so I'm just listening, you know, just listening to the farmers and the, and the volunteers of the organization to say, where do you, where do you want to go in the future? Well, we've already touched on a number of their concerns and the first workforce is, is high on the list. Are any people offering good suggestions of how, of some things that perhaps we ought to be doing? Yeah. You know, I think uh, I, I heard a good one the other day that uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a, a elderly gentleman that was a tobacco farmer. He'd seen tobacco change from, you know, hand tied on a stick to, to uh, the equipment that we use now, the leaf handlers and, and the uh, harvesters, you know, there were probably been a lot of people back in the day would have said, we'll never do that in tobacco. We'll never mechanize that crop. It'll always be hand labor. And yet we did again, uh, you know, with our universities and technology, uh, we were able to do that. So I think that's the future. Uh, are we going to be um, killing weeds with robots? Are we going to be picking crops with robots? Uh, what's the future look like? And, and uh, obviously we're going to depend on our, uh, our, our partners at NC State and, and other universities to help us with that. But I think we've got to not just assume we're going to have a labor force forever, but how are we going to get more efficient with, uh, with technology and, and, and mechanize some of these uh, crops? Do you consider forestry as a part of the, of the uh, Farm Bureau's work? Absolutely. Uh, forestry is a part of the Farm Bureau's work. Uh, we work closely with uh, our aquaculture and, and fish farming and and uh, commercial fishermen. So we, we just feel like, um, you know, especially with forestry, most farms are going to have uh, part of their farm is going to have some trees on it, going to, going to be managed forest. And, and so that's a, a part of agriculture as well. Are we, uh, you mentioned earlier, of course, one of the problems that you have with growth is that it requires people to have a place to live, to work and play. And that takes up acreage. Uh, how are we on land? Or is that getting to be a critical stage yet? Well, I believe it is. And, and I'm, I'm sure you've talked to uh, Commissioner Troxler. It's one of the, his major uh, talking points that uh, we, we just got to, uh, I guess, think more critically about how we grow as a state. Uh, obviously, people need, need places, as you said, to live, play and, and, and work. And that's going to take land. Uh, but, you know, we have to be okay, I guess, as a, as a state, as a people, uh, with you know giving up farmland because that means we're going to have to get our food from somewhere else, and and where else is that going to be? Um, you know, I, so I, I think that's a question, not just for North Carolina, but really for our country to ask ourselves: Do we want to grow our own food, or do we want somebody to grow it for us? Um, you mentioned the the resourcefulness of people in the mountains, of course. The Christmas tree industry is so good up there because you can grow Christmas trees on very <laughs> steep land. And, and in fact, it's actually an advantage. Yes. I mean, and that's, you know, that's taking what we have and using it to the best of our ability. And, and we're going to continue to do that. I, I feel certain, you know, I think, again, not to keep talking about technology, but we've learned how to grow things and, 
in greenhouses very uh you know very well and so there's other technologies that will help us to grow more on less land uh, because that's what we're going to have to do going forward people don't think about uh the people who grow uh uh products for florists like uh, the poinsettias at christmas that's another industry that uh, is fairly prevalent in north carolina oh and the in the nursery industry in our state is tremendous uh you, you know you go around uh well it's all over the state but uh that's a that's a big part of agriculture in our state the green industry we call it uh but you got to you mentioned the poinsettias in the fall or in the in the christmas time um but you've got all the, the easter lilies yeah, all the crops that go along with, with nursery crops, and and uh, and that's a big, big part of what we do in North Carolina. Uh, I, here's something I've been wanting to ask somebody that, that uh, uh, for a long time. Long-range weather forecast. I'm talking about three and four and five months out. Uh, I, I'm sure that there are such things. I don't see them very often. Uh, are, are they useful? Uh, do they turn out to be helpful at all? It's interesting you ask that. I was just watching. Uh, there's a there's a weather guy uh, that I watch uh, online, and and uh, he actually did a segment on long range weather forecasts. And the reason you don't hear a lot about them is they're not very good. <laughs> so <laughs> he he shared, you know, last year they thought that, that we were going to have a really, uh, you know, I, I can't remember it was a, a really uh, wet summer and it turned out it wasn't. And so it, anyway, it's, I think he showed about, you know, you get off about 10 days, maybe two weeks, uh, that chart starts to fall off of how accurate they can be, even with all the things that we know. Uh, so that's, that's, that's why you don't hear a lot about three. They'll put them out there three and four months, uh, predictions, but you gotta be careful about them. <laughs> so the farmer's almanac is not necessarily a useful tool. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, no, I wouldn't say it can be a useful tool, uh, but just maybe not for a weather forecast. <laughs> uh, North Carolina's growing season is uh, uh, pretty long. What what crops are grown in the winter time? Are there any crops grown in the winter time? Well, we we still grow some wheat, uh, winter wheat, and so that that is growing. You know, if you go by a field now and see it green, uh, more than likely that's a a cereal grain, we call them, as uh, so it could be a rye or a wheat or or one of those that's growing, and we grow more wheat than anything. Um, but you know, not not a whole lot of things that are growing in the winter time here. Um, but as we march into March, we're getting ready to get started here. We mentioned earlier that uh, too much water or too much rain can be a real problem to the farmer, and we've had several hurricanes where we have extensive flooding and there have been uh, a lot of efforts to see if we can't control some of that flooding. Are we making any progress in that area? I think so. I know there's a lot of people working on it. There's been a lot of money uh, put towards it. And so I think we're making progress. I'm always uh, wishing things happen quicker than they do. I guess impatient uh, because, you know, I feel like the, the, the clock is ticking for the next big hurricane and we need to be prepared. But We've looked at some really interesting things that uh, happened up in Iowa uh, where they dealt with flooding of the Mississippi River there and uh, actually actually used some farmland to, to capture some of that water so it didn't you know flood towns and houses and and then 
let it go out slowly. So I, I'm excited about the, again, the technology, the, the opportunities there to uh, perhaps control some of the flooding that we know is going to happen. It's, it's just a matter of time. You know, when we watch movies, especially movies set in the Midwest, we see almost every farmer has a uh, windmill. Are farmers using uh, and harnessing wind power very much? You don't see that a lot here in North Carolina. I think we are, uh, you know, looking certainly at, at wind power, uh, mainly off the coast. I think there's a lot of talk about that as far as generating wind energy. Um, but you don't see that a lot on uh, farms. So the, the most exciting thing I see in the energy space on farms is uh, is in our livestock operations, these biodigesters that are capturing the methane uh, and then converting that to natural gas uh, and then putting that back in a, in a pipeline. I mean, that's that's really turning uh, the corner, I think, and uh, we're excited about where that's going in the future. That would seem to have a great future because that's absolutely wasted. Yes. Uh, yep. Broadband. Uh, North Carolina talks about expanding broadband, and there are, of course, a lot of eastern North Carolina and western North Carolina counties that are still without access to broadband. Uh, how fast are we moving on that, and uh, how important is it? Well, I mentioned I'm impatient. Uh, <laughs> I think I think we should. Uh, I, I wish it was happening faster, uh, but the one thing that's not a problem now is. Uh, We've got a plenty of money that's been put into this from the federal government. We actually had an announcement yesterday. Uh, I was with the Secretary of Agriculture, Bill Sack, to uh, help some put some more broadband money out there. And and so we're getting there. I understand it's a, it's a challenge, uh, but I think everybody has come to the realization, and, and maybe this is one of the positives that came out of COVID, that, uh, you know, this is just like we electrified our, our country many, many years ago. And um, this is how we're going to work and maybe do health care and all kinds of things in the future. So it's important for everyone to have reliable connectivity, but especially our farmers. We talked about all this technology I mentioned. It just doesn't work if you don't have the connectivity. Connectivity is a big deal in every area of our economy. And, and it's so important for us to continue that work to connect all of North Carolina because it also broadens the uh, ability of the rural areas to get good health care as, as well as uh, be involved in the economy. Yeah, it, it levels the playing field. Uh, yeah. It levels the playing field. And I think that's, you know, I know, I, I, I think it's good for all of North Carolina, even even our cities and urban areas that rural North Carolina uh, does well. And and I think we've, we're moving in that direction. I'm positive that we're moving in that direction. Well, Sean Harding, we certainly appreciate you sharing time and your wisdom with us. Sean Harding, the president of the North Carolina Farm Bureau, uh, he uh, tells you that if you'd like more information, of course, you can go online and check it out all the time. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He promises me faithfully we'll have another interesting guest next week on the same group of stations all across North Carolina. So until next week on the same station. I hope you and yours have a very, very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.